awesome to be together. It's a little bit cooler in here than last week, which we're fired up about. I think last week we topped off at like 86 degrees at the end of the service, so uh, we're doing good. We're not quite there yet. And uh, just to let you know, we did send out an email that they are going to be replacing the air conditioning on July 23rd that week. So one more Sunday, and then the Sunday after that, we are going to be like freezing in here. And we're going to turn it all the way down, so bring your coats. It's going to be cold in here. And uh, no, just kidding. It's, I appreciate them uh, responding to our desperate pleas. Uh, but it is awesome if you're visiting with us. We are going through a series called Walk by Faith, The Heroes, as Don mentioned in Hebrews 11. And today we're going to be talking about Joseph. And uh, just for your prayer list, if you could pray for uh, Mike and Libby Rock and Stuart uh, Maines and Steve Lounsbury. And is Carrie over there? Oh, they're both not there. Okay, well, they are over there with about 10 or 12 uh, college students in the Middle East right now. They went to Dubai. I believe they're in Lebanon now. They're going to be going to Amman, Jordan. And uh, just having a training, they're going to go out sharing on the uh, college campuses of the Middle East. So that's going to be quite a different experience. I don't know how you do that. If you just kind of go out and just go crazy like you do here, or you just kind of like sit at the coffee shop and wait for somebody to sit down. I mean, I don't know how that all works, but pray for them. Uh, and uh, some of you uh, maybe were uh, singing praise to uh, France earlier today. We had a little uh, party over at Poncho's there. Uh, most of us were rooting for the underdogs, but uh, it was fun. It's great to be able to make memories in the kingdom. You know, every week you have a chance to make a memory with somebody else. All you got to do is dream it up and do it. Right, We get to have life to the full, and it's just awesome to be able to have people that we can share uh, events with, have a great time. We got to have a quiet time with some of the guys and uh, watch the game. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about Joseph, and uh, as we get started, why don't we say a prayer together. Uh, Father, we do thank you for this time to be together. We do pray that you uh, be with everyone over in the Middle East right now, God, that you can uh, help our brothers and sisters over there be connected with us, God. We are so uh, praying for them, God. We want them the best for them. We pray that you uh, protect them. We pray that you lead them. We pray that you grow uh, your kingdom over there and that you build the relationships, God. Be with Mike and Libby as they're over there dealing with and helping and encouraging and, and correcting and training, God. I pray you give them a lot of wisdom. Uh, be with us as we're here today, God. Help us to focus on you the next few minutes that... Your word is open that it can uh, penetrate our hearts, God. Help us not to think about what we did before, what we're doing later, but we can really focus on you, God. I pray you get me out of the way uh, that your spirit can move. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to be talking about Joseph and a famous character in the Old Testament that's talked about in Hebrews 11. Uh, if you're new to the story, you've got to go back and read Genesis 37 through 50 and just how God took this Young teenager, actually, we have some teens in the house probably, but he took a young teenager. I know a lot of our uh, kids are actually up serving at youth camp this week, so Jake and Kelsey are up there. I know a lot of you are going to be going up there, uh, and some of you are going up there tomorrow or maybe even tonight. I know they're having a devotional there tonight, so uh, we're really proud of the church here. We, we are the driving force behind that camp. If you go up there, like half of the people are from the desert. 
And uh, it's just exciting. Even when we lived in Orange County, we noticed like, wow, there's all these Palm Springs people up here because when we were in L.A., we didn't really know the difference between all the cities. Just everybody is Palm Springs, right? And so we're grateful for your heart for the kids. But Joseph started his journey at 17 years old. But even before that, he was kind of the favorite child of his parents. How many of you were the favorite child? Okay, Megan and Madison, how could you both be the favorite child? I don't understand. See, their parents did a good job. They made them both feel like they were the favorite child. Um, But he was the favorite child. His dad actually loved him more, gave him this fancy coat to really just even demonstrate how much he loved the one son and not everybody else. Man, that was a really tense family. Uh, Joseph goes out to the field one day. He has this dream that all the, the sun and moon and 11 stars come and bow down before him, which is his mother, his father, and his whole family. So he comes back from out in the field and says, guess what? I had this amazing dream that all of you bowed down to me. I mean, it was incredible. They didn't like that too much. It didn't go over too well. But just you got to imagine where Joseph was at to come back and share that as if they were going to like it. Like he shared it like he was so excited about it. We're all going to be fired up about it. You know, that gives you an idea of where this young 17-year-old was. He was pretty... He was feeling pretty good about himself. The world pretty much revolved. If any of you have a 17-year-old, it's kind of like that, isn't it? I mean, the sun and moon kind of revolve around... uh, Ours is 18, so she's like way past that. Way past that. Um, So then one day they're out in the... I'm just telling the story for you a little bit in case you need a refresher. So one day they're out in in the field and they throw the younger brother in a cistern and want to kill him and just leave him there. And so they, they, they kill an animal and they put the blood on it and take it back to their father and they pretend to kill him. The other brother sneaks back, takes him out of the cistern, and then they end up selling him to these Ishmaelites and they take him over to Egypt. Okay, so this is his journey. Then he goes and he's a slave for this guy named Potiphar for a while. Then he gets thrown in prison and he works there for a while. Then he almost gets out of prison, but then the person forgets about him, so he doesn't get out. And then Pharaoh has a dream about this uh, plenty and famine that's coming, and then he ends up getting saved out of prison and becomes the second in charge in all of Egypt and basically saves the whole world. I mean, it is like a movie that they never had back then. He saves the entire world, and at the very end, his... Brothers and mother, his mother passes, but his father come and they actually do bow down before him. So actually his dream comes true uh, in an amazing way. Um, So in in Hebrews 11, he's just remembered for the end of the journey. But you got to kind of appreciate the journey that he went on, that he finally made it. He finished with faith in Hebrews 11, 22. It says, by faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke of the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. So here, it talks about him finishing out his life, still looking forward, looking back to the promised land and where he wants to end up. And uh, that fits in with why they wrote the book of Hebrews, because he's trying to get every, all the Christians to persevere 
and make it to the very end. That's kind of God's goal for all of us is not just to have a great church service or make it through the week, but make it to the very end of your life and be faithful and be able to enter the gates. If you don't make it to the end, you pretty much wasted your time. Right? So he's trying to get people, they were thinking about leaving Christ and going back to their old lives, and so he continues to call them to focus on all these heroes that actually finished the journey. So let me read here in Genesis 37 when he tells this dream uh, to his brothers. He said he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him, as any good father would, and said, what is this dream you have? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept this in mind as a good spiritual dad. Hey, I don't really like that dream, but maybe God is speaking to you through this. And my point number one, as we get started, humble yourself before God. This was Joseph's first challenge in life that we're aware of, is to be a humble man before God. You know, he didn't start out that well, but he ended up being a pretty humble Person before him. I thought of a few ways that God calls us to be humble before him. Number one, confess and renounce your sin before God. That's supposed to say Proverbs 28:13 up there. But whoever conceals their sins will not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So the idea of coming before God and comparing myself to Jesus, that he calls me to compare myself to perfection and take an account of how I compare and to be able to confess all the ways that I can fall short from him and be able to find the mercy that he has for me. Basically, if we're not able to do that, we can't find mercy. If we want to hide and conceal our sins, then we can't find grace. If we want to be perfect, that doesn't work. But he calls each of us to humble ourselves before God and confess our sins. If there's sins that we're holding on to that we refuse to bring before God and confess, then it's nobody's fault but ours. Right? So that's the call to be humble. Number two, another way to see our humility before God is to think about a competition. You versus Jesus. Me versus God. Okay, we, had a, we went on our family reunion and we had a little arm wrestling contest. And we got everybody out there. And, you know, the, the sisters, you know, they're somewhere between, you know, 48 and 60 years old. And even though they were out there arm wrestling and, you know, Danielle took second place in the sisters department. Uh, so that was pretty good. I was just glad her, she, her arm didn't bust because they were just like sitting there for like 20 seconds and finally she's like, oh, that's enough. Um, Connor's not here, but just so you know, I still am the champion of the family in arm wrestling. <laughs> and that's something that he's still trying to figure out. 
Like we go to the gym and he benches more than me, he squats more than me, he curls more than me, he does bad. Every, everything is greater than me except for the arm wrestling. And so that's the only competition that we have remaining. And I think I got him one more year. But after that, I'm going to have to retire. Uh, I could see him breaking my arm probably in a couple years. So you got to know when to quit. But think about, there's, Jesus puts it this way. Suppose a king is about to go to a war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? Basically, Jesus is saying you and God are going to meet and you've got to think about how you're going to handle this. You're either going to go straight at God and you're going to fight head on or you're going to figure out how to get out of it and how to surrender to him. You know, and so... When we do that, that helps us to kind of put ourselves in a better place. Like, okay, maybe I think I'm awesome because I won the uh, arm wrestling championship of the family. But compared to God, no way. I want, to give, I want to surrender now so that I can be on his side. I don't want to fight that fight. But that's a choice that each one of us has to make. I'm either going to fight God or I'm going to surrender to God. But I have to consider that, that option. Another way that, that I thought of, of being humble is to think about ourselves without God. Think about your life without Jesus, without the Bible, without anything good. And, you know, here's a picture of dead vines. You know, and sometimes as Christians, we can, this can be one of the toughest things. Because as we're Christians longer, our lives get blessed more and more. And it's easy to have this attaboy syndrome, right? My family makes fun of me that this sometimes because whenever I do something good, I kind of highlight it in a little way so they all can give me some props, whether it's the dishes or whatever. Anybody do that in your family? Okay, you know, it, it makes you feel better, right? I don't know. It's not a good thing, but it's just hard to break. But as Christians, we can be the same way. We can feel like, wow, look at my life. I'm, so, I'm such a great parent because look how my kids turn out. They're so, look at that. That was amazing. You know, I taught them that. I taught them how to do that. I taught them how to pray. I taught them how to be humble. I taught them how to, all these things. And we can feel like, wow, we're pretty good. You know, our marriages, you know, Don was saying 23 years. They can feel like, Wow. How many thousands of marriages did you guys just destroy? You know, most of them, I don't know what the average length of marriage is, but it's got to be less than 10. You guys just doubled people. And we can start to feel like, wow, we're pretty good. You know, and our, sometimes when we're around our family, it's even the worst. You know, when we were on our family reunion, it was easy to look around, and it was so obvious the difference between those with faith and those without faith. And you just see the kids. Some that are listen and pray and they're not perfect. But man, it's, it's huge. And the other ones that are going out and buying beer for the other ones. And they're getting drunk on the side playing beer pong while we're hanging out at our family reunion. And getting D's and C's in their classes. And one of them's a ski bum and I don't even know. <laughs> And it's easy to feel like, wow, aren't we great? Rather than to see what Jesus said, he said, 
If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. To realize that apart from Christ, I am nothing, that you are nothing, that anything that we do good comes from him. That he says without him, that's you and that's me. But as Christians, and if we're around the church for a long time, sometimes we really don't believe that. We feel like there's something about us that make us special. And Jesus is saying, yeah, it's me. That's the only thing that makes us set apart, because I made you, and I'm the one that has blessed your life. That keeps me humble whenever I start trying to pat myself on the back. Hopefully that'll do the same for you. And the third, fourth thing I thought of is, our lives are dust. You know, this picture of this, we came back and I went to dust off my couch to sit on it, and it was just full of dust. And God, God in Psalm 103, it says, As a father has compassion on his children, the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. So just that little brush, and then it's gone, that's us. Our life was just put together by dust, and someday it's going to go right back. He holds every breath that we take in his hands. At any moment, he could just take that away, and that's it. That's how much we depend on God, whether we realize it or not. I don't know about you, but that keeps me humble. And I love Joseph later on, after 13 years of being a slave, pretty much. He goes before Pharaoh and he says, talking about, telling him about his dream, he says, I cannot do it, he replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer that he desires. He finally got to that place, he says, you know what? I can't do anything, but through me, I can be confident because God will work through me. It doesn't mean that you just sit back and you never speak and you never stand up and you're just like this really humble person that just kind of like, I don't know, doesn't ever talk. But it's a, it's, a, it's a spirit that with God I'm powerful, but without God I'm not. And that was how Jesus lived, and that's where Joseph finally got to. Yeah, I pray that today that you have a humble view of yourself before God that's also confident with him. Point number two, something that Joseph did, accept how things go. Here's a picture of a kid down in a cistern of what it must have been like to be thrown down in there and have no chance of getting out and then uh, being lifted up and taken away. This was his life. He had to accept that his family threw him in a hole. That the people who were supposed to protect him hated him. That they wanted to kill him. That he barely made it out of there. And his consolation prize was these guys. That he got to go on a long camel ride to Egypt. And that was by the people in his family. Sometimes the people that are closest to us can hurt us the most. And yet Joseph had to, or decided, he didn't have to, but he decided to accept where God led him. Now, God never approves of sin and actually says, if you cause someone to sin, it's like putting a millstone around your neck and jumping in the ocean. So he's going to punish people that sin, but he says, your decision as Christians 
as followers of me is to find the good and bring the good out of whatever bad has happened to you. Either it was maybe your own sin or someone else's, and that was what Joseph did. Here he is at the end of his life being reunited with his brothers, and he said, don't be afraid, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them that he accepted where God led him in his life and got to a good place. You know, God is working in all of our lives to bring out good, to make us more like Christ. It says he works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. That he is working to help us to be where he wants us to be, no matter what's going on in our lives. Translation. There's no excuse for not going God's way. You can't blame anybody else for where you're at. You are where you are. And it's our choice to be able to bring that to God and accept it and make good out of it like he did. What did he do? He saw God in the situation. That God was leading him to Egypt. That God was leading him to these different people. That God finally led him to Pharaoh. And that he used him in his life. He saw God's love even in pain. He could see through the pain to see God. That's amazing. I don't, that's one of the most challenging things to ever do. Just like Jesus on the cross could see through that pain to love us and see us, he calls us to do the same thing and to believe, to have faith that God is working good in your life. Right now, God is working good in your life. Through your sin, he even works through your sin to lead you to a better place. Even when you mess up, God fixes it. Even when people sin against us, God can lead us through it. We don't have to be slaves to the sin that was done to us. That's an amazing example that Joseph had. You know, are you able to accept where God has you in your life? That right now, to believe that God puts you right where you are, in the fifth pew, third person to the left, God puts you right there. That he brought you here with all your past, with all your stuff, to be able to lead you to someplace good. That's where Joseph got. That's where he wants each of us and where we all can be with God. And number three, to thrive where you are. Joseph didn't only accept his lot in life, but he had a great life. Everywhere he went, he was blessed by God. It was like a party was around him. And I found this picture. This professor in, at the University of Syracuse made this tree where it has 40 different kinds of fruit on the same tree. I mean, this guy is a nut. He is into it. You know, there's cherries, plums, peaches, apricots, almonds, 
I mean, and so he would go out and he would find a tree and he would cut off a branch and he would, you know, graft it in and tape it up and, and then it would start to grow. And it was amazing. And he got so good at this that the first time he did it, because they're all flowering and, and blooming and bearing fruit, like all at different times. And so the first time he did it, all the blooms were on one side of the tree and he said it just looked weird. It looked like the other side was dead. So he perfected it where he would graft in the branches so all of the under part would be blooming and then like the next part would be blooming and then the next part would be blooming. And it was just like synchronized and he had it in these folders and it was all mapped and color-coded. And you just see, man, this guy has no life. I mean, he is into it. I, I didn't talk about, I don't know if he's married, but man, if he does, she shares him with the trees. He's into it. And it's amazing that to think about God is grafting us to be fruitful in all kinds of ways. That he's cutting off bad branches and putting branches of the Spirit in us so that we can grow in all these different things all at the same time. You know, and God has the ultimate plan for our lives to thrive. That He's working on us all the time, day or night. He never sleeps. He loves you that much. You know, in your life right now, you probably have 50% good and 50% bad. If you wanted to just go through and just kind of classify everything, maybe it would be more one way or the other, or, you know, I don't know, maybe you feel like it's all bad, I don't know. But so much of what Jesus was challenging his disciples on is what do you focus on? Where's your faith? Are you looking at the fish and the bread, or are you looking at me? Are you looking at the wind and the waves, or are you looking at me? Are you looking at... The tax that you can't afford, are you going to throw it out there and catch a fish that will have it in there? Jesus always, it was his attitude and his faith that determined his life. It's the same today. Your attitude and your faith determine your life. Whether you're going to thrive or whether you're going to die. Whether you're going to mope around or whether you're going to see God in your situation. In Genesis 39, listen to Joseph. And think about the guy that had just a horrible life, and this is what happened. It says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. He lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in, the eyes of, in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care, and with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. So the only thing that he had to worry about was what was for dinner. That's a good thing to worry about. But Joseph was with God so much that God just blessed his life and everything that he did, it came out amazing. You know, in the prison, it says, while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him there. 
He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison. And he was responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So whether it was a house, whether it was farming, whether it was in a prison, he took care of everything. I mean, you think about being in prison, you're dealing with all the prisoners and the guards and all that goes on in there, and everything went smoothly because God was with him. I mean, he was thriving. The only thing that the guy worried about was, do I want a double or a triple? Adam's like, nah, I'll, I'll take a nothing. Connor would worry about it. I want a double, triple, I want a four by four, whatever. <laughs> to thrive, Joseph had to deal with some things in his life. He had to forgive. It's impossible to for, please God if you can't forgive. Those people that have sinned against you still have power over you unless you forgive them. Unless you forgive as Christ forgave you. You know, no matter how bad it got, he still cared about those around him and wanted to help him. He said, man, I, I can help that person. I can help this guy. I can, I can help Pharaoh. I can help the world not to be hungry. I mean, he had an amazing love for those around him. No matter what situation he was in, he thought about God first, even if it was only him. When Potiphar's wife wanted to take advantage of him, he said, how could I do such a wicked thing against God? And he ran out of the house with his coat in her hand. And I love just thinking about he was wholehearted, just like the guy with that tree that was really into it. He was focused, thinking about how can I make things better? How can I make things amazing? How can I help these people to get along? How can I help this whole process to work better? How can I help the guards and the prisoners to get along? And how can I help chow time go better? And I don't know what he was thinking about. But when, he, when you're working for the Lord, you're wholehearted. And God blesses you when you do that at your job. When you're wholehearted and you're figuring out how to make things better, God will bless you in an amazing way. Because people love to see others that are wholehearted. Because of God. My final point here. Even though Joseph had an amazing life, he still had a heart that longed for more. I mean, what else do you want? You're in charge of the whole world. Your family comes down and tells you how awesome you are. I mean, you you overcome all these incredible challenges. You're the wisest person in the whole country, most powerful country in the world. But all of that meant nothing if his bones couldn't go back to the promised land. Wow. I'd be like, who cares about your bones? That's me. I don't care where my bones go. You can burn them. You can take them away. You can bury them. It doesn't matter. But to him, that was what God called him to do. Bring my bones back to the promised land. There still was more. There's still something greater than Egypt out there, which is the promised land. You know, do you picture life without sin? Imagine this world 
with no sin, with no anger and no hunger and no divorce and no pain and no, no internet uh, pornography. I mean, just a, a perfect world as God created it. Do you ever imagine that? Just walking around in the Garden of Eden with God. When there's no thorns, it's not hot, everything's perfect, you've got these amazing things going on. Joseph had a spiritual heart that saw beyond whatever he was going through. He looked forward to the promises that God had for him. And his grandfather, great-grandfather, told him that he was going to be there in Egypt for 400 years and then they were going to come back to the promised land. He held on to that of more value than all of his successes in life. You know, God, look at this, his heart, in verse 50. said, Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear on an oath, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. That he was looking forward to the promised land. You know, this week I've been reading a book as I went away about heaven. And I want to encourage you to read Revelation 20, 21, and 22 and just spend some time thinking about what heaven is going to be like. It says that there's going to, everything is going to be made new, including your bodies and the whole entire earth and all of heaven. And they're going to somehow be a new heaven and a new earth. And we're going to all live there with Christ. That's an amazing thought. You know, to think about the creation, the Garden of Eden was, was, was perfection. And so God has given us the ability, as we look at nature, to see glimpses of what perfection is. And to imagine what heaven is going to be like. He said there's going to be streets of gold, which you're probably familiar with. And then a river of life coming down from the throne of God on the streets of gold. And if you could just imagine the sunshine hitting it with the streams coming down and just the amazing brilliance. I got to sit by a stream this week in Oregon and just think about, wow, what would that be like if the whole bottom of the stream was gold and this was all pure water with the sun hitting it like that? It would be like thousands of diamonds reflecting off the bottom of the pond. To think about perfection and that we all get a chance to be there and be able to walk and talk with Christ. We'll we'll have no more sun, that he'll be the sun. And just imagine, that's what God wants from you, to long for that more than what you have here. That that's way more important than whatever it is that you got going on. That that's the the, the promise that Joseph never gave up on. You know, if you put all this together, if you humble yourself before God, accept how things go, thrive where you are, and have a heart longing, a longing heart for more, Joseph was focused on God, Yahweh. That's kind of a weird way to spell it, but I got it there. He saw God in everything that he did. And I pray that as you go through this life, that you can see Jesus. This is our destination. To be able to be with Christ 
So I pray that you humble yourself, and me too. That we accept whatever happens in life as from God. That we thrive wherever we are. And that we have a heart that continually longs to be in heaven with Christ someday. Thank you.